You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's speak to a fund manager now. Her name is Joanne Bainham. She's from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. And Joanne, suddenly since we last spoke, and I was bemoaning the fact that the S&P couldn't break to the upside and wouldn't break to the downside, and suddenly, of course, it's done the former. It's broken to the upside. And when you look at it, just step back, as I said to a couple of commentators yesterday, step back and have a look at the long-term graph of the stock market. And when I say the stock market, let's call it either the MSCI or the S&P 500, whatever is your measure of choice. And you say to yourself, it always goes up. It has a few dips here and there. And when you see the graph and when you see the amount of money being pumped into the system, i.e. 1.9 trillion uh, into the hands and the pockets of Americans, and also potentially 2 trillion going into infrastructure in the United States, plus interest rates being at record lows, I say to myself, why have I always been slightly bearish? It's just ridiculous. The market can go only go in one direction, famous last words. Look, it certainly feels that way at the moment when you look at the sheer quantum of money being thrown in the markets, be it by monetary policy or fiscal spending. But I guess you and I both look at valuations and say, you know, is it as good as it can get? Is it not in the price? Because there's a lot of good news around, but is it in the price? And yet at the same time is if you just ignored fundamentals and ignored valuations, you've made a lot of money just staying long. But yeah, before this call, I went and looked at the S&P, looked at the Dow, all-time highs on these markets. The Nasdaq, not surprisingly. But you are seeing all-time high in these markets. Does it continue? Well, I've just seen Jamie Dimon's come out this morning or yesterday saying that long live America, the economy is strong, it could even continue to 2023, and not particularly worried about inflation. So is this Goldilocks? Does it continue getting better? I don't know. I don't have those answers. All I can tell you is from a valuation perspective, there's better opportunities in other markets than merely the US. So I think if you are looking at an overall portfolio, I, I think there is better value to be had than the likes of the UK and Europe, etc. But even there, sorry, yeah. Lindsay, you want to ask me something, but even there in Europe, I see all the gains since the losses from the, the, the falls of 2020 have been regained. Look, admittedly, it took longer than the S&P, but they're back to those highs. So it's almost like COVID never happened. Yes. And you who live in Europe know it certainly does happen as the third wave's hitting. It's almost as though, in a perverse way, that the COVID pandemic has made people realise how lucky they are not to have the COVID pandemic getting any worse, if you see what I mean. It's almost like someone, it's the sort of analogy that I've used a couple of times before, someone getting out of prison and saying, right, that's it. Um, I've had a lucky escape here and now I'm going to have some fun. And it's, it, because if you go to China, for example, and look at cinema attendances, they're higher than they were before the pandemic. So people are going out and doing stuff because they haven't been able to do stuff for so long. It's, as I said, a perverse psychology, but that's the feeling I'm getting. Well, I guess that if you didn't die from COVID, excuse the expression, you've now got a second life. Mm. And that there's massive pent-up demand from people who are saying, like, we haven't lived because whilst we were trying to save the world, nobody was living. I think the world wants to move on. And I think you're absolutely right. I think people are looking at their lives and are saying, we want to go on those holidays. You know, we want to anticipate holidays again. We want to feel normal. You know, and I were chatting before we started talking on air now that even in South Africa, where life is pretty normal at the moment, you know, compared to a lot of other countries in the world, there is that horrible feeling, though, what happens when our freedoms get taken away again? What happens when the third wave hits? And so people are trying to have a good time now. Well, they can. It's like if, you, if you're given any freedom, you know, grab it with both hands uh, and you've got huge savings. Because if you look at globally, the saving rates have really picked up. So there's, 
there's money there and there's demand. So there's no reason why economic growth can't pick up. Again, though, is it in the price? So I think that's where this whole value versus growth arguments come in. I think that's why a lot of people are trying to buy value cyclical shares. Yes. Because they do see a runway for very good growth for the next one to two years. Yes, I agree with you. And the other thing that happened uh, this week, apart from all the factors that have been in place for a while that we've mentioned, was that Janet Yellen, I don't know if you saw the transcript of her speech to some institution in Chicago. If you go to the US Treasury Department website, you, you can see it. It struck me as being so conciliatory and so reasonable and so logical and completely the opposite to the previous four years of administration that, that we've had. And she also talked down inflation in, to a certain extent, um, or rather didn't dismiss it, but just said it's not going to be a, a problem. I don't see quite how that can be the case when we when you saw that jobs number on Friday. I mean, we were off on Friday, but the jobs number came out from the United States. Staggering, was it not? And surely that's inflationary if people have got jobs. Look, I, I think she's being a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, but too conservative on the inflation numbers. Mm. A lot of what I'm reading is talking about quite a lot of inflation coming through the system. And if you talk about the pent-up demand that we were just talking about, yes, it, that is inflationary in the short term. And as you and I have debated, it's inflationary longer out. That, that's the huge debate. But if you look at commodity prices and shipping prices and the cost of food going up, there's definitely inflation coming through. And the growth rates that everyone's talking about are going to be as strong as they think. It's hard to believe that we can go into a world where all this growth comes around and there's just no inflation. At the moment, I'm kind of, I've always been in the sort of middle ground. And the more I'm reading, the more I'm thinking inflation looks like it's picking up. Uh, and if, even if you don't believe the inflation story, surely you've got to believe the growth story. So you want to be buying companies that are leveraged to growth. You, you don't have to pay up for growth anymore in the sense that sustainable or certain growth. I think the leverage players, companies that will do better in an environment where growth is picking up is where you want to be positioned. That happens to be some of the value shares or the cyclical shares in the market. And I think I think that's got legs. You know, a lot of people are saying it's over. It's done so well already. Isn't it over? I think you're looking at a 10-year basis. I think there's still great opportunity for value shares in these markets. But back to Yellen, I, I did think I didn't read her transcript and maybe I should, but I did find her comment that she wants to have a global tax rate quite interesting. Yes, that was, wasn't and it? it? Sort of big brother and, stuff. And I, it is big brother. And, you know, I commented on Twitter to say I thought it was hilarious that she was demanding that the rest of the world follow suit. The reality is the Americans have spent their way out of this COVID problem. And, you know, some countries in the world haven't, you know, been a bit more frugal. Why should they have to raise their taxes just because the Americans are raising their taxes? Mm. I, I think it's a bit of a big bully story. And I think a lot of it's actually behind the fact they don't want American companies putting their money somewhere else with lower tax rates. They want American companies to keep their money at home. So I think that's why she's banging the drum of sort of a, a global tax rate that's the same everywhere. But the same everywhere, yeah, which is, which is it's, it's not ludicrous, but it's a, it's a great idea. But how can you say that there should be a global tax rate applied to every single corporation when one corporation does this differently to the other corporation and also one economy is completely different to the United States? I mean, I, I don't quite understand it. I mean, if you said that to someone in the Netherlands, to the very tenuous hold that Mark Rutte, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, has on, on, on the country, you said you've got to put uh, a global tax rate of whatever what, whatever's going to be mooted by J Janet Yellen, he's just going to laugh at you. As you said on Twitter, you thought it was hilarious. Well, I, well, I, think, it's, I think it's laughable and I think it's rude. I mean, I think the Americans are, are really quite 
bullying sometimes, but that, that's a discussion for another day. Just back to this inflation debate, I, I did find it interesting, uh, and it's just an anecdote, but Amazon, um, people working in their warehouses don't even have time for toilet breaks, so they have to urinate into bottles. And Amazon claimed that that was a lie, that that wasn't true, and have come out last week and said, actually, you know something, it is true, it does happen, and we encourage it sort of idea. Uh, and one has to wonder, when that sort of policy of cap, la- I mean, capital against labour does Labour start, start turn around and say, wait a minute, we've had enough. Increase our wages, we can't live. And, you know, that's when the inflation story gets really interesting. So if you're talking about economic growth picking up as much as people are anticipating, surely at this stage in the cycle, infl- wages get a higher share of the pie. Yes. Because that's when it'll become inflationary. Because there is something wrong with the world. And, and you and I have debated this at length, that people at the top have had so much money and yet the middle classes and, the, and lower classes are, are falling behind. I mean, another comment today on Bloomberg, just from the COVID story, how many millions of millions of people around the world who were middle class last year are now are now into the definition of poor because of what happened through COVID. And, and we're going to be paying that price for years mm. to come. So I think I if so. we're looking at a world, a new world order, in a sense, governments have got to start turning around saying, but we can't carry on like this. You've got to share the pie. So and if that's the case, I think we are going to see inflation picking up. I was watching the BBC the other day and I was a bit blurry eyed because it was half past five in the morning and I saw on their sort of strap lines and you know where it says you know uh, business news and sports news during the broadcast at the bottom it says business news bet 365 chief earns 469 million in one year I mean it's a betting firm and people obviously have been at home and saying, well, I'm a little bit bored. Um, The wife and kids are or the husband and kids are annoying me so I'm going to have a bit of a punt. Bet three six five. It's, it's, I, I don't know. My my yeah, my, my my betting partner is is Paddy Power because I I know Paddy, but I didn't realise <laughs> Bet three six five was so big. How can anyone pay themselves four hundred and sixty nine million pounds in one year? Look, that story. It's not the first time that story has come into the press. I think two or three years ago she had another similar number that was just insane. But if memory serves me correctly, she is one of the largest shareholders, or like the biggest shareholder in that company. So oh, I see. Okay. I think she kind of started it. It's it's not quite as bad as it looks. It's not like it's not a salary. A it's a it's a share a share a position well, I, not, as well. I'm not sure, but but all I'm saying to you is she started the company. I think she's the major shareholder, if, if not earning most of the shares. Mm, that's capitalism for you. My argument's more about companies where you have a CEO who didn't start the company earning an enormous amount of money where the guys at the bottom earn nothing. You know, that's where there's problems here. It's it's in normal other companies where shareholders are big stakeholders and you've got a top guy at the top earning an obscene amount of money and the guy at the bottom earning nothing. I think that's got to, got to change. And I think, you know, the voters are going to say we've had enough. So minimum wages will rise in countries where you are near at full employment. Look, South Africa is a different story again. You can't kind of insist on those kind of rules because we've got such huge unemployment numbers. We have to sort that problem out before we can start insisting on higher wages for the poor because until we get more people employed, you can't insist on those sort of arguments. But it's a very different story in developed markets. How do you view South Africa at the moment? I know you're very keen on uh, getting as much money overseas as possible, whether it be Europe, the United States, Japan, or whatever geography that you prefer. But um, South Africa's started to pick up particularly small and mid-cap stocks. I mean, you look at a share like PPC, for example. Oh, no, look, I mean, from a performance perspective, South Africa's done incredibly well this year, Mm. whether it's small and mid-caps or it's the resource shares. I think it was Goldman's recently have upped their exposure to South Africa and Russia because of the commodity boom. 
I'm not saying don't have any money in South Africa. I mean, for a long time, we preferred bonds because I think the yield is so attractive. And that admittedly, in the short term, hasn't looked too clever. But, you know, I, I think South African shares make sense. But remember, again, as you and I have debated at length, South African market is not the economy. So, yes, small number caps are exciting, but they're a very, very small percentage of the mm. JSE these days. You know, they're tiny. You know, your biggest shares are your, your resource counters, your platinum counters, your banks. Not Sorry, not your banks. You know, the likes of NUSPAS, which we'll talk about in a few t- minutes' time. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, I think South Africa's got opportunities, but I'm saying in the long run, in the long run, you want to be invested in a country where people are educated, where unemployment is low and productivity is rising. And where government seems to know what they're doing. And on those counters, I, I can't give a big tick to South Africa. I just can't, unless something massively changes. So, you know, maybe Ace Magashulu in two, three weeks' time stands down. That'll be fantastic for South Africa. It shows that, you know, we care about governance. We care about what happens to our money and where government spends it. These are good news stories if that happens. But we've got still got structural impediments to growth in this country because of education. And it's got to improve. And I, I still don't see it improving. If we start seeing the right things being said about that, I'll feel a lot more optimistic about this country. But equally, as I said to you before, you can be long the JSC and be anti-South Africa. They're different arguments. In terms of where we look at our clients, we're saying from a purchasing power parity perspective, where do we want to have our money? Well, you want to have your money in strong currencies. And I still don't believe in the long run the RAND is going to be a strong currency. Just interesting enough, I just did a podcast with um, John Bickard from 91 and Cy Jacobs from 361 yes. on sort of value versus growth investing. And one of the questions I asked both of them was, well, is is the South African rand a value trap? Or, you know, or do you want to be long the rand? And both of them, without hesitation, said, no, no, no you don't want to be long rands. You just mm. don't because structurally there are problems in this country. So these two managers are very much aware of what the value of something is. And they're saying at current levels – they'd be taking money offshore, they would not be long runs. This is not saying they don't like South African companies. The the two are very different arguments. But they're just saying from a RAND perspective, you you don't want to be long runs. You want to be looking at other opportunities. So, you know, they're they're cleverer than me, and that's their views on the world. So you want to ask me something, Lindsay? Yeah, I was just saying that, so, again, I, I spoke at the beginning of this interview and said, just look at the, if you want to get a view on equities, just get a 100-year graph or a, even a 50-year graph or a 10-year graph of the equity market, a broad-based index like the S&P, and you know exactly what you have to do. You have to buy the dips. And with the RAND, it's exactly the same. When I came to South Africa, uh, Joanne, back in 1988, mm-hmm. The rand was 1.9 to the US dollar. Okay, there was a dual currency. There was the financial rand and the commercial rand, uh, the ordinary rand. And it was 1.9, as I said. And look at it now. It's been to 1935 at one stage. Okay, it's come back now, uh, quite rightly so, Mm -hmm. because it was undervalued. But is it overvalued now? It probably is overvalued. It should probably be 15 and a half, 16 on a purchasing power parity basis. And we know that because of the interest rate differential and growth differentials, that it is going to weaken longer term. We know that, I think. <laughs> I wish we always knew stuff. But I'm saying if you had to have gone betting at odds back to your paddy power, I think in the long run, I'm prepared to bet that I'd rather have more money offshore than Merkel. So that's a controversial statement. But, if, you know, if you have a long-term view, that's where I'd be positioned. Clearly, it's very different for people who need income in South Africa. So when looking at client portfolios, we'll be aware of their income needs because you can't put lots of money offshore if clients require income. Because, as we know, there's very little income in offshore markets. But from a long-term perspective, 
I'm very comfortable having a, an exposure outside the country to inside the country from a RAND perspective. Again, the JSC is not the SA economy. They're very different animals. Okay. Jaron Bainham, thank you very much for your time. Jaron Bainham is a portfolio manager at Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.